Welcome to Voices, Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features first-hand experiences from Dana-Farber patients. In this episode, we'll hear Mike Johnston recount his experience of being diagnosed at 56 and catch up with him to see how he's doing today. My coworkers were the first ones I told. Passing the news of my cancer diagnosis felt like passing pain directly on to them. It was one of the hardest things I had to do, and it was just the beginning. A few weeks before, in May 2009, I had started noticing a lump in pain on the left side of my chest. I didn't think too much of it at first. I was being treated for high blood pressure, and one of the side effects of my medication was enlargement of the breast. So once the pain started, I just stopped taking my pill. When I went to the doctor, he noticed my blood pressure was high, so I told him about the lump that had caused me to stop taking my pills. He took a look and thought it was a cyst, but wanted to do a mammogram just in case. Thank God for that. I knew in my mind that cancer was a possibility, but I never thought it would happen to me, especially male breast cancer. My friends at Intel, where I had worked for 17 years as an electromechanical technician, were shocked. The news didn't affect me emotionally right away, but seeing even the most hardened and unemotional co-workers open up and give me hugs started making me emotional. They didn't know what to say and neither did I. There was a lot of sorrow and sadness. As I headed home, I sprang into action. My son-in-law had previously been treated at Dana-Farber and my son worked in the Longwood medical area. So my first call was to Dana-Farber. I spoke with a new patient coordinator that Friday afternoon and had an appointment the following Monday with my medical oncologist and surgical oncologist. It felt good to have a plan. And to me, if patients from all over the world came here and Red Sox and Patriots players, that's where I wanted to be. By the time my wife Paula got home that day, things were in motion. I sat down with her at the kitchen table and assured her that after 36 years of marriage, I wasn't going anywhere and we were going to get through this. I told her the plans I had laid out and we moved forward from there. I felt like I was in control of my care and that my team knew exactly what they were doing. I thought being a male patient in an overwhelmingly female cancer would make me different. But Dr. Overmore assured me that I wasn't the first man and wouldn't be the last to come in with breast cancer and that they knew exactly how to treat me. Being a man with breast cancer caused some additional shock in some of my friends and family, beyond the fact that I had cancer in general. That bothered me a bit, and it was an odd thing for me too, and an odd thing for the system. But it isn't something to kid about. It can happen, and it did. During my treatment, one of the social workers started a male breast cancer support group. There were probably 15 of us, and we had regular conference calls to chat about what was going on with us and how treatment was going. One day I got the idea for us to meet up in Boston for lunch sometime. It was really beneficial for me. You feel like you're in a boat all by yourself, and meeting other people who are in the same boat as you buoys you and shows you that you aren't alone. Other people are trying to get through this too. From watching my son-in-law go through chemo, I knew a bit of what my treatment would entail, but I didn't know how it would make me feel physically but I listened to all my doctor's advice, especially about eating food. I was one of the only people in the infusion area eating sub sandwiches and drinking soda. But all in all, I weathered the chemo pretty well, thanks in part to the volunteers who visited us during infusion. Halfway through my treatment, I took a break with Paula and I went to Cabo San Lucas for vacation. I had a little hat on because my skin was more sensitive because of chemo, but otherwise I sat drinking tequila on the beach like I would have without cancer and this trip did wonders in helping me feel like myself. I worked through most of my chemotherapy, but had to take some time off about two-thirds of the way through. I couldn't golf throughout my treatment either, which was one of my favorite things to do with my friends, which was really tough. Because of my mastectomy and lymph node removal, 
I was at a high risk for lymphedema in my left arm. I noticed the pain in my armpit for the first time while reaching for a toll ticket on our way home from an appointment in Boston. That night and every night after, I stretched my arm over my head until it hurt. After six months, my doctor couldn't believe the range of motion I had. My job is physical and I use my left arm a lot to lift things and to play softball and golf. So I was dedicated to getting my strength back as much as I could. My treatment ended in October 2009 after a mastectomy, chemotherapy and radiation. And it was a true celebration, not just for me, but for my whole family. I have six sisters and three kids and everyone showed up for a pink party my sisters threw with pink candy bars and pink shirts for everyone. Those girls could throw a good party. I was a little worried after treatment about the cancer returning, especially since a lot of the guys in my support group had their cancer spread and a few had passed by then. But I kept on moving. I know whatever I come up against, I'm going to face it and move on. That was Mike Johnston sharing his experience of being diagnosed and treated for male breast cancer in 2009. He's now joined by his wife Paula and his sister Jackie to talk about what that experience was like for their family, how he's doing eight years later, and what advice he has for other cancer patients. I still remember when my brother called me and told me he had something to tell me that it wasn't easy for him to relay the information and the news that he had to give. That was a really tough conversation. How was it for you to make that phone call to me? I always felt like I could deal with this myself but when I saw the pain and the sadness that it imparted to everybody, it really, um, it really brought it home for me. But uh, it was not as difficult as having to tell my wife Paula when she got home from work that day. Paula, what did you feel like when I told you? I was devastated. We haven't had that much experience with cancer or people that have had cancer. And I thought I was gonna lose my best friend. I don't know, it took a while for it to sink in, I think. I think Mike's confidence level once he left Dana-Faber helped the family get on board with the treatment also. Like everything that he learned here, he was able to explain to everybody else. So it gave us more confidence and made us more comfortable. I did also have some genetic testing done, primarily for my, my, my kids and for my sisters. We were all happy to know that he actually had the, the, the testing done and very relieved to find out that he did not carry the gene. I mean, it's made us, the rest of us hypervigilant. Mm -hmm. We make sure that we right. do our self-exams. We make sure we have our mammograms. His sense of humor and his willingness to continue to move forward and not let it define him um, helped us all to move along as business as usual. You know, it wasn't treated like Mike is sick. Um, we have to treat him special. It was fair game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if there's one positive, to come out of cancer or any type of illness is you, you look at your life a little bit differently. You try to live it to the fullest. We do a lot of traveling. We just know that, you know, you only go around once. My friends at work uh, pretty much said, you're gonna be the face of male breast cancer in America. <laughs> and you haven't so, shied away from that. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed uh, doing my part, trying to uh, advance the knowledge of male breast cancer. Men ignore a lump, women do not. And by ignoring that lump, they, they become much more advanced. So you need to be vigilant about what's going on in your chest. I talked to Dr. Overmoyer when my chemotherapy was, was ending, and she said for me to make sure that I have a celebration party 
So I contacted my sisters and they took that information and <laughs> they ran with it. We do everything in our family as a combined effort. The room was full of pink balloons with streamers. Uh, we had pink food. Uh, Mike's daughter flew in from out of state. The thought of our only brother being as sick as he was or could have been was extremely scary. And I'm so happy that he has remained the same. He hasn't changed. 15 years ago, I went through quadruple bypass surgery. And now eight years ago, I went through breast cancer. I should be gone and I'm not, I'm here. I'm here for everybody. He has inspired and he has made other people feel like there is hope. Thank you for listening to Voices, Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast. To learn more about other Dana-Farber podcasts, visit www.danafarber.org forward slash podcasts.